Hello, my name is Philip Mendoza Vieta. And my name is Max Weitzman, and this is the App Canary Podcast. Today, we'll be discussing closure and developer happiness. The story goes like this. In November 2014, I had just spent you know two months working 12-hour days on the selection campaign i was really burned out and max had just had like this magical summer at the recurse center uh, which is like a programmer's retreat and uh, i was really burned out and max was really bored and he was like i'm really tired of consulting phil let's do a startup i'm like okay sure fine whatever uh, and then over the holidays, uh, Max, you know, Max had spent the summer working a lot on closure. At the time, I thought it was a brilliant idea, career-wise, that like, you know, if if App Canary like catches, blows up in the bad way <laughs> before it really takes off, at the very least we can add like a cool language to our resumes, right? Because like um, I'd really specialized in Ruby, but Ruby is like not cool anymore, uh, and so like uh, it's not clear what happens to programmers at the age of thirty-five. Uh, it seems that they all go to like go to the happy farm uh, and like kind of disappear at least out of, outside of the startup scene, right? Like founders are like age forty, uh, but no one else who's not a founder gets to be like age forty in like a startup. It seems because it's an exploitive industry that depends on cheap labor. But this is all to say that the idea of having this tech to our toolkit seemed like a good idea, and we wrote the first version of App Canary in Closure. And then for a variety of reasons, it didn't really work out. We decided to like rewrite it. And I wrote a, I gave a talk about this experience at RubyCon um, on how like for a variety of like different reasons, um, kind of like strained against language me personally. And it made sense yeah, given I, our current skill set to like go back to something that we knew really well. I think that, I mean, part of it, and I think you have to be really upfront about this is that you feel were unhappy writing Closure. Totally. Um, and that was a big part of it. And I think at least the way that I see it is that like you were unhappy writing closure and I was more happy writing closure than Ruby, but like the magnitude like of unhappiness. Yeah, the magnitude like, of unhappiness was really weighed in your favor. Honestly, if I wrote em- if I if I used Emacs, it probably would have gone the other way somehow, right? Like there's yeah, a, anyways. You could never I mean, yes. There's it, a whole like, talk about this that you can watch. Yeah. Uh, it's available on YouTube, it's available on our blog. But I gave this talk at RubyCon, and then... Um, people got upset. Well, people, like, were just thought I was some kind of asshole. Like, all the Ruby people I talked to were like, huh, well, what an interesting mm. experience. Mm, that's unfortunate. And then some people within the Closure community were like, how dare you? It's just very uncomfortable. Like, most talks that you see are like, we used to use this older, less cool language, and then we switched to this newer, cool language. It's very rare to see the switch back. Yeah, I mean, that was part of, I thought that was part of what was enticing about it. Yeah, that was, like, that's what made it interesting. That's what made it interesting. There's this cognitive bias uh, in humans where um, negative feedback stands out like a hundred times more than positive feedback, right? So I could have gotten like a thousand comments saying that I was oh, a beautiful genius, but if I got 10 comments that on how like I'm a complete waste of resources, uh, I'm going to obsess about those, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, mm, you know, mm, you know, some people seem to have had like mild feelings uh <laughs> not everyone was enchanted of how brilliant and handsome i am mm-hmm. um and so that kind of put me off like actually posting in our company blog i gave the talk i got the youtube comments deleted because i didn't feel like people calling me uh you asked for them to be deleted yeah, yeah. i asked, for, asked to, to disable the comments and i procrastinated furiously about ever posting this to our blog so time passes and some dudes in the closure community are like is closure dying let us discuss. And this evolved into a massive... This happened right after Twitter added the, like, 
Oh yes, the that's reply. right. Because so Twitter allowed you to like at reply as many people as you want now. So in 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 the past, in the long forgotten past, Twitter used to count uh, usernames towards the character limit. And this had been like the week after they removed that yeah. restriction. So mega thread. Mega threads became possible, right? Uh, so there's like this huge thread with like 15 different people CC'd. Just like gargantuan thing brought up its life of its own where these people are discussing being like, what does it mean for like uh, adoption of a technology and like vitality of a community to be meaning, blah, blah, blah. And some people were disagreeing with each other on whether or not the community was stagnant or continuing to grow. And someone found my talk and posted it in this thread. And I started discussing that. And then uh, someone CC'd me. And then I got involved, right? And so it's kind of, I'm not used to the feeling of people like discussing my work in my absence, right? Because like, it's very easy to have this perfectly solipsistic view of the world where y'all stop existing the second I step out of the room. Um, just like magically reconstituted by the time I sit back in the room. It's a very, very convenient way of like, you know, blinders going through the world. But uh, I took that discussion, that feedback that was going on, and I wrote uh, a somewhat incendiary post um, that I titled, I'm really, really pleased with the title of it, Simple Ain't Easy, But Hard Ain't Simple, uh, Leaving Closure for Ruby, where I kind of summarize all of this. You can find it on our blog, uh, where I kind of summarize this whole discussion, but it actually enabled me to like, add something more to a blog mm -hmm. post rather than just being like herpaderp I gave this talk and kind of expand on some of my feelings about this mm -hmm. and uh, in a nutshell uh, I made the contentious argument and stated in a somewhat inflammatory uh, way that uh, simple is not easy is one of the most toxic ideas ever introduced to programming and the like the, the extra considered harmful um, tradition I guess we should probably um, establish where uh, simple simple isn't easy comes from yeah so rich hickey gave this talk in like 2011 and rich hickey is the author of closure. rich hickey is like the patron saint and owner of closure because he owns all the copyright funny quirk about how that how that works so he gave this talk in like 2011 about how he views complexity uh, when it comes to writing code and he had this like elaborate and like very well articulate like the first like 10 minutes are really great talk. It's like, just like really, it's a really interesting way of viewing it where like he distinguishes the concept of like simplicity from something being accessible, mm -hmm. right? Where like something can be like a really simple and elegant construction where all the pieces do their one job properly, et cetera, and compose beautifully. But to an outsider who's not been exposed to like what all the different pieces mean, it's just like incredibly hard to comprehend thing. And so I think I'm doing a bad job, I'm sure, mm -hmm. of like describing this, but that's that's kind of a broad overview, me, me remembered of this. Um, and so nothing on him in particular, that talk in particular, but rather the way that this talk was then used within the community to justify ongoing des design decisions that they had, right? And so some bit of the feedback that I got regarding um, us switching away from Clojure to Ruby was, well, you say you found Clojure hard, but did you try hard enough? I mean, you spent uh, six months working on it full time, but I mean, really, are you? Did you did you keep trying? Uh, you know, simple isn't easy. So this is this is really simple system. It should not have you know. Maybe you're just not smart enough to have really understood like how simple, how beautiful and simple it is. 
this is a straw man of sorts, mm-hmm. right? Like I can, there are some people who've said something very similar to this. I'm not ascribing these particular words to anyone in particular, but it's just a sentiment that I had felt expressed in many varied ways when you read mailing lists, when you like talk to people, when you engage on Twitter or whatever, where people are like, well, you know, you, you complain that this is hard to use, but easy is not really a value that we optimize for. We optimize for simplicity in this, in this community. And so that's what we ultimately strive for. So it's okay that it's hard to use, um, so long as it's ultimately simple. I, I think that what matters here is that what bothered you was the environment, not the language. Yeah, ultimately my actual criticism was not like, uh, these parents are too confusing, but it's more like uh, the combinatorial explosion of like all the different tools that have to be yeah, used like simultaneously. You, you couldn't get your editor to work. You couldn't get like a debugger to work. Um, the error messages are yeah. like uh, hilarious in context. It was like the things that are incidental to actually writing the code. Yeah, and I think that like, and when I looked when whenever I looked up solutions to these individual problems, I'd like kind of come up with this. I'd see this barrier somewhere, or someone in a mailing list would be like, "Well, you know, that might be an issue, but look how simple the code yeah. is." Yeah, kind of and I think that this is best. Um, I think this is best captured in like. Um, a reaction that I've heard many times where like when you would come to a meetup or ask online, like I, I would like a debugger, right? Like I would like to be able to debug code with like a REPL in place. And one of the reactions is like, why don't you just try cursive, which is great. Cursive actually has a really good debugger. But another reaction that I heard a lot is like, you don't really need one. Just use the REPL. Like, why don't you just like set up the state you needed in the REPL and use it like that? Which is not, I mean, I think that's a very, uh, that's kind of a condescending attitude. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, mm-hmm. right? Like those people in particular, are like all extremely nice people, all extremely well-meaning, mm-hmm. etc. But it wasn't more like, well, you don't need like how you know mm-hmm. you're not smart enough, etc. But it's more like, well, hmm, I could see why you would want an in-place debugger that works just like the REPL. But in practice, I managed to survive by just like typing mm-hmm. everything, all the state that I need into the REPL and building my functions that way, right? Because I have, mm-hmm. a, I have a somewhat idiosyncratic development style where I like to like stop the world in a particular execution context and then uh, build the code I need around it. Mm-hmm. Whereas they were just saying like, well, you know, I mean, it would be nice if we had that, but you could you can get a, you can get away with doing that manually inside the REPL, which is how mm-hmm. I've been doing it, right? Um, and so it's nothing on them in particular, right? I, I just want to make that absolutely clear. And so in my blog post, I kind of brought this back to like, I dragged this back into like, well, Maybe one way to like summarize this is uh, hap- developer happiness doesn't really seem to be a priority, mm-hmm. right? People did not like hearing that. Well, I mean, it's really vague. It is super vague. And I think a reaction that you got, and that's one that I um, I think I agree with, is like, what do you mean developer happiness? Like writing Lisp or writing Clojure makes me happy, which is like a way that I feel like. I feel and felt a lot of developer happiness write enclosure in a way that like I genuinely do not in Ruby on Rails. Totally. I should have written down the, the fellow's name, but whoever writes the Lambda Island blog mm-hmm. had like this really great response where they weaved in a series of different ideas. I think David Nolan's EDA fix talk, how like certain times we get fixed ideas that prevent us from moving forward and kind of weaved us all together because that fellow used to be a Rubyist. So he identifies with the notion that like, you know, Ruby should make you happy, et cetera. That, mm. um, so for those who may not necessarily know about Ruby, Matt's, who's the inventor of the language, has a series of aphorisms. And one of the aphorisms is that like he invented Ruby because he felt that programming should be like, 
um, should make you happy, should be a joyful experience, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, every language community has a set of like aphorisms and axioms that they hand down as part of the culture, right? Mm -hmm. um, because programming is this weird cultural phenomena. So uh, Lambda Island had a great, great essay where it kind of explored this idea. And on the, that post managed to be, I think, even more popular, judging by the analytics. Mm -hmm. like, a lot of people read that guy, which is great. Three to four different people, at least, reached out to me to say, well, what, what you wrote about touched the nerve, right? Like, I can identify that statement, but what do you mean in particular about happiness? What is mm -hmm. developer happiness, right? Because exactly as you just said, like, when you write closure, I feel happy. Right. Yeah, like I, I, I can tell you, like for me, having no mutable state makes me happy, like or rather mutability makes me unhappy. So I somewhat uncharitably characterize this as it's easy to feel clever mm -hmm. in closure because once you, you're, you're done writing a particularly gnarly, like mm -hmm. nested set of like function calls, mm -hmm. it's easy to be like, yeah, yeah, I just... I just put some computer science on this guy. Look at all this like recursion, et cetera, mm -hmm. uh, that are applying second order function to like partially evaluate the results, right? And there's a transducer in there maybe, who knows? And so that cleverness is a kind of happiness, right? Yeah. Like feeling like you're accomplishing something cool, I think is a kind of happiness. And I think it's very accurate to look at like Ruby on Rails circa 2017 and be like, nothing about this makes me happy. Yeah. Nothing about like, responding to HTTP requests with like this gnarly form and this like it's filled with magic and you need to like it's it's when you're starting off it's like not clear how the different parts move because there's all these different flags and settings and I mean it's not that I don't think it's that complicated but like I have many years of experience yeah. with this right so I'm like obviously blinded I've seen the system evolve over time so I can even give mm. you a historical perspective on like all the different choices yeah. that were made. Um, but this is all just to say, if you look at Ruby, the average Ruby program in 2017 is a Rails app, and we'll look through the, the bowels of the Rails app, you're like, I mean, this is okay, but it's not like, you know, it's not not interesting. It's no longer the forefront. It's like, if, if, I, wanted to, if I wanted to do something interesting, I would pick some, something else. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it's more than that. I think that like a lot of things are like what, Richie talks about in the talk is that um, a lot of easy things cause complexity and I think Rails is like the perfect example of that where it's very easy to get that blog in 15 minutes but you have a ton of these components that interact in a way that's completely invisible to you that you don't really understand like for example, like I can think of a specific example of something that I bang my head against a lot is that like um, calling a method on a mailer will not actually return the thing that the ma that the method returns. It uh, like if if it like if it fails mailing, it'll return a null mailer some of the time. Like th that's not how I expect you know objects and methods to behave. Right, and I can be like, well, you know. It's a mailer, Max, like, obviously. Well, no, not necessarily that. It's just, like, I agree. That's just a bad API. That's that particular... The mailers, the way the mailers were designed... Right. So, 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 so part of it is that you, um, you... There's room for APIs that behave in really strange ways because you have, like, objects and methods, but because of, like, the power of the Ruby-style metaprogramming, you can actually just, like make the user type whatever you want and have whatever they want you want come out of it. It gives you enough rope to shoot yourself in the yeah. foot. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, um, 
But, and so I think it's very natural to look at this and be like, there's this like crazy hodgepodge of like APIs and like uh, libraries and things that do different things. And it takes a while to like achieve mastery of it. Like you can crap out a blog in 15 minutes, yeah. which is this famous demo that like when Rails came out, that's kind of the things people associate with this. And so it, I, I think it, it's reasonable to look at this in 2017 and be like, well, I could like use this like large framework, mm. but I'm trying to do a simple thing. So why don't I just do like one of the thousand different libraries that does this one simple thing in potentially a more interesting environment? Like if you're doing JavaScript or if you're doing Clojure, if you're doing Elixir, if you're mm -hmm. doing Rust for that matter, right? I think that's a very valid criticism mm -hmm. um, or a, 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 rather a valid observation because I think it's worth, I, I think it's necessary to contextualize it in its historical moment because I think that's true in 2017, but... Ruby on Rails in 2007 was like an incredible f uh, breath of fresh air. Yeah. Right? Because compared to the systems that it originally competed with, in retrospect, it's easy to forget how much it then changed people's expectations as to what you can what you can pump out. So let, let, me, let me get into more, more particular details. So like, what exactly do you mean by developer happiness? And how does that reflect to you? And I, this could be a more interesting project where I talk to different like mm. Ruby programmers to like kind of narrow this out. Um, but for me, it was this epiphany of a moment circuit. I think for me personally, it was like 2008, 2009. Like I didn't have a ton of experience, but I knew just enough to like be dangerous because uh, you know starting fresh whippersnapper. Um, you know, barely out of university, but I was aware that like uh, I had some Java experience. I knew how to write some apps. But if you wanted to like get a hello world out there, it took efforts you had to configure a lot of things you had to like set up routers and understand how the view system worked and then pump connect in, things in together in, in java for in instance java, like yeah. you had struts yeah. you had jsps uh java servlet pages i think there was like some frameworks mm. but they were legitimately confusing to understand and wrap your head around right like just to get it out the door it took a lot of like weird random decisions right like do you use an orm at all how do you connect to the database? How do you do this? How do you do that? Um, do you get to have the right drivers? Do you have to like set the whole thing up? Mm -hmm. And then in comparison, Ruby on Rails, you have this like very permissive language that lets you do like things that circa 2007 were like not really doable or thought as a thing that you could do to your language, like all the metaprogramming stuff, mm -hmm. like building a DSL in Java 1.5 was like not the greatest thing in the world. I mean, I think that DSL is called XML. Right. That's effectively yeah. how people exercise those feelings. They like, <laughs> yep. they created convoluted XML constructs. But like, if you can trust that experience, or even like PHP, which uh, in 2007 was like uh, the dominant form of web development. So that's the thing is like, if you're if you're optimizing towards like how quickly you get a page up, like PHP. Sure. But then if you came from the PHP world, so if you come from mm. the Java world, you're like, this is really hard to set up, really yeah. confusing, really like user unfriendly. And if you come from the PHP world, you're like, my understanding, because this is not my personal mm -hmm. experience, but my understanding was like, PHP is just not a very good good environment, right? Like the libraries were crappy, it was full of security holes, it was just like kind of hodgepodge together. It was, it had like a very negative connotation. It, it's very easy to make like, a page in PHP. Like yeah. at that era it was very easy to make like a page with a form and then you submit the form and do something with the form. It was a lot harder to like 
put together like the, the the MVC part of Rails was like really like mind blowing. Exactly. If you come from this world where you kind of like string it together, and I believe because like right now I know that there's like a lot of really good PHP frameworks. I yeah. think that at the time there wasn't really something Rails like on the scene for PHP, but I'm not sure. There was like AS ASP was from Microsoft World, yep. but I think they had the same notion around server pages mm-hmm. where the um, the domain logic was inserted somewhere inside the templates too, or something along mm-hmm. those lines. Like it took us a lot. It took us many generations of like web apps to figure out like how to separate concerns. Right. But, but, but I can tell you what brings me joy. Just, so just to wrap that yeah, up. Yeah, right? yeah. Go ahead. And I think this is maybe not obvious from the outside, but like what was really refreshing wasn't just the, like, it was really easy to get a whole world out. Mm-hmm. But it was the philosophy behind it. Right? right. Because the philosophy behind convention over configuration is that things should just work. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you shouldn't have to make choices that don't matter because mm-hmm. ultimately, like I shouldn't have to type in like the things I can figure out to connect to the database. I just mm-hmm. should just understand this what I want to do. Right. I shouldn't have to like get anything to get it to work the way I want it to do. It should just like it's smart enough. It should be smart enough to have a broad set of defaults um, mm-hmm. that and figure out any, if you can automatically determine something, you should go ahead and do it and configure yourself and like give me get out of my way so i can just write the code that i want to write and so in 2007 that was incredible yeah right there were there were really nothing quite like it that had the same kind of like philosophy and i think this is this is what is expressed by happiness in like rubyland as like received like um vague aphorism by mats because mats wrote this like really silly language where you can do anything you want in it mm-hmm. where everything's open you can introspect everything you can modify the behavior of anything so it's, it's fun it's it's fun in the sense that like there's nothing you can't poke mm-hmm. right like you can build any any sandcastle you want um so it's fun in that one sense yeah and then uh DHH at all took that and they're like, this is like a breath of fresh air compared to writing Java or PHP. But what if I took that with regard to like how I how I design my apps in themselves, right? Because what this framework does is it holds your hands. It gives you a lot of the pieces that you need to ultimately build these applications, right? It gives you an ORM, it gives you a view layer, it gives you a way to handle forms, it gives you a way to handle validations, it gives you a way to like spit out errors. Uh, like the list goes on of all mm-hmm. these things that it takes care of you. Like you never have to think about like how cookies work in, in Rails until like right up to the point where you deploy it and maybe you want to worry about that a little bit. But by and large, it's just like they're the right thing out of the box. Uh, and that was the attitude. It's like things should just work when you plug them in together. Yeah. Um, but okay, I I hear what you're saying. It's 2017. Totally. Right. So yes, like in 2007, Rails was this like mind blowing breath of fresh air. But we're talking about making choices in the context that we have today. Right. And so I don't think like I don't think that historical argument is valid uh, a valid response to the kind of criticism that you've been receiving. Well, I mean, you're not hearing the the flip side of this, right? So, mm-hmm. like, when I when I sit down with Closure and I put in like Lane and Ring the framework, and when I sit down, I want to plug everything in, thing in. Mm-hmm. I it's very frustrating to have everything fight me at every turn, right? Like things should just work. Like when I tell you that this error message is incomprehensible, you should be like, "Huh, you're right." Like not even you're right that that's a loaded term. Be like, try to have some empathy for that, mm-hmm. right? Like instead of being like, I am a, a fifth level Dan black belt enclosure, yeah. and I understand like 
I've seen the parens unfurl unfurl themselves. And, well, I mean, that's okay. And so, then I can deduce exactly what this error is, right? There needs to be this effort to, like, get out of your way, to, like, let you... Things should... Ah, it's really hard to articulate. You see this... You see, you really see this in, like, um, Ruby-adjacent communities mm-hmm. where, like, Ember and JavaScript and um, Rust and Elixir, where a lot of the attitude is, like... <laughs> Uh, it should work. It sh- it should be a thing that functions, that gets out of your way, that helps you understand what's wrong. I'm sorry that you didn't have that experience yeah. in Clojure. I think part of it, and I guess like for me, joy, um, the joy of programming is understanding. Totally. And like I I understand Ruby the language pretty well. Like I it's it's not a very big language. It's very easy to understand. Um, it's very easy to understand. I understand how things work. I have like a pretty good sense of how like the meta programming stuff is implemented. I think that understanding Rails is a almost insurmountable task because it's so large and the way that it's built up is so hidden from you. So this gets into like libraries versus frameworks, I think. Sort of. So I thought so um, until I had experience building a... Um, so like, like I, until I had experience building... So like, like Elixir, um, the equivalent to a blog in 15 minutes is a real-time chat in 15 minutes. And... I built the real-time chat in 15 minutes on Elixir, and that really opened my eyes as to like what what it means to have a small surface area, area and what it means to have like APIs uh, that, the, the, that have a framework made of pieces. The connections between are explicit to the programmer. Like I, I can tell you, like I've you know I've used Rails on and off for years. I've been like writing it full time since we did the switch. There's still a lot of it that like I don't understand how it works under the hood. For for Phoenix, for like the equivalent um, Elixir framework, I like wrote one application in it, and of the parts that my application used, uh, I know what piece I don't understand. I don't have a good handle on how Phoenix channels actually work. But like the rest of it, the way that v, uh, the way that models and views are connected, the way that the router works, like all of the framework bits are laid out for me explicitly, and there's no there's that feeling of magic, but there's nothing hidden and invisible. Um, and I find it incredibly frustrating when I bump against things in Rails that don't behave the way that I expect and I don't know how to introspect them. I mean, that that's totally fair, mm-hmm. right? Um, one thing I would just say about that is that Phoenix, to my understanding, was written as like, how to, as like a better Rails. And, and yes. And it has accomplished that by the sounds of it, which yep. is like great. But like, it was written... My understanding is a lot of motivation is to like fix some of the flaws that you just mentioned. Where yeah, like, definitely. Um, and I mean, yeah, I'm not gonna de- I'm not gonna defend those parts where mm-hmm. like sometimes it's like there's 50 different classes that are interacting in weird ways. Like I've never really gone 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 around like fancy uh, Ruby style where they mm-hmm. have like a thousand different modules that get uh, layered in different ways and like the things work. It can genuinely mm-hmm. be hard to follow following interaction i personally have not found it too difficult to like trace execution through it whenever mm-hmm. i had a problem because i can just drop a debugger wherever the hell i want right mm-hmm. like uh you know uh, every layer is just a ruby code that's open nothing's compiled it's very easy to like mm-hmm. poke your way through and kind of chase through the execution so on on that regard fine i think i think it's totally legitimate that you've had those problems i guess just one way to kind of wrap that together is that I think it's I think it's fair that you've you've had struggles, mm. right? Like we we're talking about it earlier, how um, you want to modify the way joins work in Active Record so that you can preload 
two different active model classes mm. based on the same query, and it's hard to, to do that. Um, and I think the answer is simply that um, that's kind of an edge case that was not really designed right. for it, right? And like that's something that they might get around to eventually. Uh, but for like the ninety percent, the ninety percent case of like mm-hmm. I have a few associations that need to like propagate through this model that works, mm-hmm. right? But I think it's legitimate to say like this is not as flexible as it could be. It's not interoperable. Yeah. I guess. I guess for me, I feel like there's this trend now where everyone's like, oh, well, we, what you need is like. A, composable tiny libraries that mm-hmm. do one thing they do them well and they throw them together and i think that comes up a lot that comes up that's like the, the uh f- practically official philosophy philosophy of the server-side javascript world yeah right closure closure a lot closure outside of like pedestal but nobody outside of cognitive really uses it right and so there's this idea that you should just mm-hmm. be able to plug things together but what i think that is like it's really myopic because it ignores the integration cost Mm-hmm. Right, like there's a really high integration penalty towards like threading all these things together. I mean, that when you have a large library, like someone else pay that cost for you, right? And it's not perfect. You can't mm-hmm. like swap it out exactly the way you want it to. I mean, it's even hard to think of like a library that does everything that Active Record does because Active Record does too many things, right? Active Record handles validation. It's a query. Mm-hmm. It, it's a query DSL. It um, migrations. Right, like well, migrations is a separate. They're outside thing. of Active Record. Uh, they're an independent library. You can mm-hmm. use migrations without using Active Record, mm-hmm. but like I think you still have to import the whole library, right? Anyways, there's like, there's like mm-hmm. it does like five different things, and I think it's fair that those could be five different libraries, <laughs> right? Uh, but they were like threaded together in a way that like the rest of the system expects it to use, and I think that's there's something really valuable about that that gets really ignored in other communities, mm-hmm. partly out of like this absolution of responsibility for making sure you can plug things in together. Like the integration costs is pushed down to the end user mm-hmm. and therefore the warts. Like if you are if you have an HTTP like servlet thing that consumes requests and passes it off to a middleware, it's not really your responsibility if there's not like if like for whatever reason the most popular validation library barfs, right? Like if there's some edge case. Right. So I mean I think that like that that's I think that you're kind of strawmanning a little bit totally. because in, in, in these worlds where um, you have a bunch of little libraries, so like in Clojure, they have Ring, right? Um, which is similar to like this idea of like Rack in, uh, in, in Ruby world where like you have a like unified API for like what is a request and all of the libraries that like do stuff on requests like speak the same API. Like I think WSGI does the same thing in Python land. Anyways, I, I, I think that, like, I, I understand what you mean, that, like, when you have a bunch of libraries, then you have these, like, projects such as, um, is it Luminous? Is that Dimitri's thing? I think that's, yeah. Uh, where you like, okay, so here are the libraries that are the best to use, and here's how to put them together. But for me, it's more the request path. Like, I don't like using systems that hide what they're doing from me. Yeah, and I think if you were to write Rails today, you do differently. I think if you were to write Rails today, it would look like Phoenix. Yeah, probably. I think because like yeah, because yeah. a lot of a lot of the communication happens through like instance variables that you set and they're magically picked up in the view layer. Yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the kind of thing that you get. You get once you understand how it works, it stops being like. Because like I have a mental model in mm. my head of like how um, how those are evaluated, right? Mm-hmm. And so like after so many years, I think that's totally legitimate. It'd be like this is confusing because it should just yeah the controller method should just return something, right? 
like controllers in Rails, like you set a bunch of instance variables, and then like it magically figures out yep. which which view to render based for you. on file names, basically. based on file names, which is like, and then there's a bunch of stuff that it magically figures out based on like pluralizing or singularizing uh, nouns for you. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people that switched from Ruby to something like Clojure. Yeah, uh, from Rails to yeah, like yeah, Clojureland, yeah. and for them that was the breath of fresh air. Totally, is that like I write a function and it returns this like. Uh, this map, this hash, and this hash represents an HTTP request, and then some other function takes that map and it turns it into HTML, and then it like, then it gets rendered onto a page. Totally. But then like, then we spent like days trying to get like JSON to emit properly because it was really hard to like JSON serialization is like a surprisingly tricky problem. But I remember like spending days trying to make this work when in like. You could have faked. You could have hacked it together pretty easily in Rubyland because I the libraries are there. I remember that you. exact. I remember. I remember um, that. I remember us fighting rings middleware, uh, where like we had. We, I we think wanted I was to capture... using. I was using like a. Uh, I was using a, an API thing. Sorry. Yeah. What are you thinking of? We we had to. There was some like error handling condition that we wanted to attach. We wanted to like write custom error messages mm-hmm. for. Uh, if you like cause a 500, we wanted to like customize the JSON right. emitted, and like you, we had to override how all the all the like error handling middlewares worked because we were using it was we were using Compager API. Yeah, and I think if I were to go back, I, I think if I were to go back, I would have done started with just I, I would have done it by hand. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing, and that's almost like Compager API was kind of frameworky. So Ring is this like Sinatra like. Yeah. That's not even Sinatra like. Cause there's a very bare bones like HTTP handler. Ring is a standard for a map that represents an HTTP request, and I probably would have just used a router. I guess more like rack. Yeah, it's like yeah. rack. It's so like I would have just like used a router and Ring and gone from there. Yeah, and built um, that from that. And one. like honestly, like I think that the reason this was hard for you is that by the time that you came in, I had written a lot of it and I had like made decisions, and a lot of them were not the best decisions. Oh, the most damning one. And mm. I think so. Remember, remember schema. Yeah. So schema is this like closure library um, that you could uh, throw against like a hash map, and then it would effectively validate the data for you. Yeah. So you a, could specify type constraints and like shape constraints on the data, and then you could use this for validating like the yeah, data. Yeah. It was runtime in. type an- annotations. Right time runtime type annotations that in effect like mm. work as a kind of like validation, right? Mm. And we spent an entire day, if not longer. Like, I remember some, like, absurd amount of time that we spent trying to get human-readable errors out of it before we gave up. Mm-hmm. And I remember us giving up, because we could not find a way to get yeah. the guy to spit out, like, a human-readable error for every, like, combinatorial potential yeah. of, like, errors. Yeah. Um, uh, so, I mean, now, like, the Clojure community has moved on to Spec, which yeah, is Spec from Clojure Core, which kind of does the same thing. It's kind of schema, but not really. And then they, they have a strong, like, human-readable error thing. But I remember another mailing list thread where like people were complaining about like not being able to extract human errors from mm-hmm. spec. I don't know. That's that's after yeah. We I mean, I think those it. are all. I think those are valid criticisms. And but I think like the main one is that you should use the language that you're going to be most effective in. At the end of the day, you should go with what you know. Thanks for listening to the App Canary podcast. You can visit our website at podcast.appcanary.com. And my name is Max Fatesman. And my name is Philip Mendoza-Vieta. This show has been produced and edited by Katie Jensen. You too can hire her by visiting katiemariejensen.com. If you liked our show, please rank us highly in iTunes. Take care. <laughs>